I want people to understand that if you have a disease like muscular dystrophy and you know finally you're able to get stem cells while we wait for the cure, there's so many things kids can do to make their life fulfilling. You know, you may never play high school baseball, but you could learn how to become a photographer or a musician. There's so many things you can still do that children can be passionate about and can make a career out of and be very fulfilled. Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here, I share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Walking side by side with a loved one who has been given the diagnosis of an incurable disease. This is a journey many families have experienced before or face today. Amidst the darkness of this reality, Our guest today shares about the light that always finds a way to come through the cracks. Blake Benton founded Coming Together for a Cure, a nonprofit organization that works relentlessly to raise awareness, fund research, and help families around the world access stem cell therapy and resources to support their fight against rare diseases. This work is personal for Blake as his brother, Ryan, has Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Together, they are helping others experience cutting-edge treatment and resources to maintain a hopeful quality of life. Blake, welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about um, your story and and your your brother's story. It, It seems to me that your life's work is centered around your brother, Ryan. Him being seven years older than you, I wonder what was childhood like for you um, and your family? Childhood was pretty normal. We're a very close family. And like you don't really understand that things are different until you start seeing other families and the way that other siblings interact with their older siblings. But, you know, when you have a loved one that uh, has a disease like muscular dystrophy, you just you're just surrounded by everything that comes with it, whether that be learning how to just be more patient and helping him with little things here and there. The biggest blessing is his disease never impaired or affected anything cognitively. So he was always great brother to me. You know, we have a sister in between us and uh, we're both just kind of grew up learning to uh, help make things a little bit easier, but never um, make it seem like we're going out of our way to uh, make him uncomfortable or whatever it may be. I mean, there was uh, just a lot of love in the family and um, we just did whatever seemed natural to be um, supportive when he might need a little different support. So help us understand what muscular dystrophy looks like for a person. What are what are some of the the challenges that Ryan has faced? Um, you know, thinking back to pre treatment. I mean, basically, it's a it's a um, degenerative neuromuscular condition that uh, impacts about one thirty five hundred boys, and um, typically boys are diagnosed around three to four years old and. By the age of about seven, a lot of boys start really having trouble walking. Um, and around that same time frame, they'll start adjusting to um, either a scooter or a wheelchair or um, different, you know, you just lose your ability to walk. It's hard to walk upstairs. It's hard to continue to play on sports teams. It's hard to do all the normal stuff that kids do. Uh, the easiest way I compare it is as a kid's learning how to um, ride a bike, kids with muscular dystrophy, they're learning how to adapt to a wheelchair. And um, so it's just 
it's disgusting. It's terrible. I mean, you go from understanding you have some freedom in the world and all the fun that can come from playing with your friends in the playground, but then you realize it's like walking with cinder blocks on your feet to go anywhere. And you're, you know, you still want to participate and have fun. And, you know, that's what our family was really good about. Um, never feeling, never letting Ryan feel like he couldn't still be involved um, or, you know, not trying to act like he needed special treatment, but more just, um, you know, making sure that he still was able to be on every sport team or on go on every, uh, you know, Boy Scout camp out and things like that. And then just, you know, thank goodness his friends were salt of the earth people, even at a young age and just understood how to accept and not um pick on him for being different but just to you know yeah he's still my buddy he just can't walk with us you know yeah Um, so when you were in high school and ryan was about 22 there were some major health concerns and his life expectancy was shrinking so share about that time, you know, what that time was like, and then, and the treatment that your family discovered. Yeah. So most, uh, most kids with this disease pass away by the eight, by early twenties. Um, basically as your muscles continue to deteriorate, um, I mean, your heart is a muscle. And so when somebody gets a whether it's a common uh, common cold or that leads to the flu or pneumonia, um, they just don't have the strength to overcome the daily, you know, the cold or the flu like like you and I can. And so um, that's typically what what leads to these uh, boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy to pass away is just they don't have the strength to overcome something like a the flu. Um, and so at, at 22 years old. Ryan had been um, had been living, he, w- he was going to college, he was living um, out on a farm with a bunch of his best friends and making music every day and living a really great life, but he still, you know, the disease was taking its toll and um, making a real challenge for him. And doctors said that uh, based on just what his test results were at and where his progression uh, current status was, they thought that he may have maybe about two years left to live. But um, thank Thank God, um, our mom and dad grew up really close to a guy named Dr. Neil Reardon, who had been involved in cancer research, and that led him to stem cell research. And he'd always kind of had the thought in the back of his mind that if he came across something that might work for Ryan, he'd give us a call. And sure enough, um, he called our family and um, said, you know, I have something that I think might help. Um, the only thing I can guarantee is that it won't cause any harm. And mm. so family thought about it long and hard, but then it was a pretty easy decision to just say, you know, we trust Dr. Reardon. We, the the information he gave us about stem cell therapy, um, it made sense. It was still at its very, um, very early stages as far as just understanding what it could do for uh, neuromuscular disease. And we knew that we trusted it was safe. And so we went down to Costa Rica and, um, you know, it, after the first week or so, Ryan started noticing changes. Um, and it did basically what we learned is that the therapy allowed his body to produce um, 
a protein that is disease prevents it from building, which is that protein is called dystrophin and dystrophin is necessary to break down and maintain muscle. And so essentially his disease was reversed. Um, I don't like the word cure, but mm-hmm. it, it be, it was the first time somebody with Duchenne had ever been successfully treated um, without having any sort of side effect or being involved in, um, you know, using steroids or things that things like that. Um, so it was an enormous breakthrough. And, um, now he's had over 20 different treatments since then and, um, is doing, doing pretty well today. Yeah. So he's the the first time in the world, right. That, that this treatment had been used for muscular dystrophy at all. Right. Correct. Yeah. That was in 2008. Okay, in 2008. And so if I understand correctly, the um lasting effects of it last for about 3 to 4 months is that is that where for he starts to see a bit yeah. of decline after after that? For his condition, um we noticed that the stem cells basically um they work in your body for up to about 4 months and then essentially at that point the body starts to recognize these things they don't, they don't technically belong here. We need to flush these out. Mm. So really it's like they've done their job. And then the body says, wait a minute, you have this terrible disease still. We need to make sure that disease still can stay in charge. Mm -hmm. And so the stem cells, they go in, they fix, they repair the problems at hand. And then after about four months, they need to be replaced as the disease will otherwise uh, continue to take its toll again. Mm -hmm. You shared that Ryan is a musician. That's a big part of his life. And he has a social network, his friends. And um, what what did those treatments do for his quality of life? What what did he experience oh, it's, differently? It's enormous. And, you know, I talk to families of newly diagnosed kids every day. And, um, you know, everybody you know, they think, okay, you're getting treated. So how long till you can walk again? And it's like, for us early on, we thought there might be a chance that a slim chance that if the therapy continued to get better and the rehab involved could be increased and so on and so forth that we'd reach that. But it became very clear that the deterioration that had already occurred with his body was so severe that, um, the improvements we saw were his ability to breathe better, his ability mm-hmm. to like, if his arm had fallen off his joystick, he didn't have the strength to pull it up. But with the stem cell treatment, he had the strength to pull it up. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, as a musician, that meant he could play the piano longer and better. That meant he could sing and record a lot better than he could without treatment because his vocal cord and his lung capacity is stronger. Um, and so those things are just, you know, if, if uh, you're having a conversation with somebody and in a minute's worth of time, you can maybe only get out a hundred words, say you and I, but for him, uh, maybe he could only get out 50 words because the disease just, it, he's weaker. It's, it's harder to, it's harder to breathe and harder to get more oxygen. But when he gets stem cell, you know, he's, he's almost getting a hundred words per minute. And so mm. it's just, it's enormous. Those little things that can, um, that we all take for granted that, um, the stem cells give him back um, things that he, most kids would never get back again once you lose it. And so mm-hmm. that's why we're so passionate about it because yes, it's not a cure, but 
you know, if you're, if you lose something like your ability to uh, pick up your arm from the joystick or feed yourself, that's enormous on what that can do for your, your happiness and what you, you know, you can't, when then you have to rely on other people for all these different mm-hmm. things. Independence but, and absolutely quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, stem cell research in, in the past has been kind of controversial for a variety of reasons, but um, you are for, for this treatment, you're really focused on one particular type of stem cells. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. So it, and that's a great question because we really always want to ensure that we're saying these are adult stem cells that are derived from umbilical cords. So after a healthy, natural uh, C-section, um, mothers have the ability going into that uh, birth to say, do you want to donate your umbilical cord to medical research or to science or whatever the term is? And then there's a facility that uh, does all kinds of screening to ensure that those umbilical cords are safe and strong and they don't have contain any um, any any dangerous diseases or anything of that nature. Um, and then from there, they extract what are called the mesenchymal stem cells, which are really the 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 most finite stem cell and the ability for it to regenerate um, the the regenerate new muscle growth mm-hmm. and Brian's case in particular. And, um, it's, it's, there's zero ethical barriers that we're, that we're crossing. And, you know, we're just extremely encouraged that it, it doesn't just work for his disease too. You know, Mm -hmm. the doctor that treats Ryan has treated hundreds of people with MS, um, countless people with autism, spinal cord injury, um, rheumatoid arthritis I to say autoimmune diseases I've, I've seen that a bit so many autoimmune conditions and and it's all really this it's it's the same lot of stem cells that they're using they don't i like to use the term they don't discriminate mm-hmm. uh, and that's a big thing that why we're so confident in it because i mean the stem cells that he gets they would work for me too even though i don't have his disease, thank God, but I have back problems and I have other things that just, we have issues with this people that they would go and still help improve that. And, um, it, it's fascinating. And, you know, stem cells have been a, a controversial topic for a long time. And, um, we've always tried to make it very clear that we have nothing to do with embryonic stem cells and not only from the ethical side, side, side of things, but they don't work as well. Um, there's research that that's out there that's um, undeniable that explains how they create tumors because they want to create a baby. They want to create mm-hmm. something. Whereas these stem cells from an umbilical cord, the baby's already alive. They want to go and make that baby as strong as possible. So they have the ability to go in and repair. If you have, yeah. If you need to fix something in your lymph nodes or your knee or make your lungs stronger, they they know how to find those the uh, another way that the mesenchymal stem cells uh, are better classified are called medicinal signaling cells because they know where to find areas that have inflammation so when you stub your toe and your stu- your toe swells and you try not to curse your stem cells are saying okay now i know where to go and get to work um and so whether it's a stub a stub your toe or a degenerative disease like muscular dystrophy, um, they have the ability to go and find and repair those problems. 
Well, you're clearly very passionate about um, this type of treatment and, and for good reason, you've seen the quality of life and and the positive effects of it um, in your own brother. <clears throat> I'm curious if you would talk about the journey of creating um, the 501c3 organization. It started as a fundraiser. Kind of, Why did you do that fundraiser? And then... Um, what are the primary things that your organization does today? So, yeah, good question. You know, we um, right after Ryan uh, came back from Costa Rica in the first treatment where we realized it was working, um, it was pretty clear just, okay, well, this is amazing. My life has changed forever. What can I do to give back? So, number one, we can promote why this is something more people should be aware of. And then number two, how we can help more people gain access to it. So awareness and fundraise. And that's what Ryan just had the idea. He said, why don't we start a benefit concert? Um, he being a musician, got his band and then his other musician friends. And uh, my dad was in a classic rock cover band at the time and he played it. And um, we, you know, we had about three or 400 family friends come out and um, that just, became an annual thing that grew year after year. Um, and I was, I was going into high school, right. When he started that. And, um, so I was involved, but could only do so much at that, you know, being 14 years old, um, or 15, I guess. And, um, so then the more that that event grew, the more I became involved and got my, my friends involved. And as I went off to college, um, you know, I learned, okay, well, why aren't we getting sponsorships? Why aren't we doing more to really raise awareness? And so then after I started really getting involved, you know, we raised about $35,000, and said, okay, well, we need to become a 501c3. We can't just have this money floating around. And uh, so, you know, my sophomore year of college, we became a 501c3. That was in 2014. And, um, that was also, you have to think about the time of 2008, that was right when Facebook was really starting to get off the ground. Yes. So, so people, you know, naturally, Ryan being a musician, he's he's a storyteller. So he started a blog and would either blog things or put out these long Facebook posts and people all over the world started reaching out and um, whether, you know, from a small town in Spain or the Middle East or different parts of um, uh, maybe the West Coast and little town, Oregon, whatever it may be. And um, they would just say, you know, my son has the same condition or I have a similar disease. This is the most promising thing I've ever came across. You've given me more hope than I can, than I ever thought I'd have again. How can I gain access? And so, you know, it became kind of overwhelming for Brian to handle that. And that was right when it's, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I can get more involved and more engaged and um, help drive the mission we were, you know, just unintentionally creating, drive it forward. And um, so I started communicating with all these families and then connecting them to other resources, educating them on what to look for in other clinics, what to look for as far as reliable therapies. And then um, in turn, what that's created is really this community of other people around the world that have, whether it be a rare condition or um, they just want to play golf longer and want to have the, you know, the best healthcare um, that could be available to them. 
They want to know where they can go that they can trust and rely on. And so a big thing I do is, you know, we 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 helped um, coordinate a lot of the logistics of um, putting together these different clinical trials that are still in motion. So it's just a lot of phone calls to different VPs of research, whether it be from the Shriners Children's Hospital or um, different places in Europe. Uh, that's a huge thing I did over the, the pandemic. Um, and then another thing is just I connect other families to other people we've already helped with because you know, the, the number one thing people want to do is they want to connect with other individuals that have walked in those same shoes. And so since Ryan was the first one to walk in those shoes, no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, we he can only relate to so many people because now there's all these younger families. And so mm-hmm. after a family that we've helped that was five years old that had a five-year-old receive treatments, another family of a five-year-old wants to talk to them because they can relate more on what they're going through. And so that's a huge thing we do is just kind of continue to expand this community of people that can all believe in each other and learn from each other because they, um, number one, they're looking for something besides the traditional thing that their doctors tell them. You know, they don't want to just get on a long waiting list for a complicated clinical trial. They want to find something today that's, that's working. And um, that's what we, uh, that's what we try to do is, Number one, never, uh, number one, we never promote false hope, but we say we can do everything we can to try to position yourself for the best opportunity for this new uh, stem cell therapy to be available to you. And so mm-hmm. it's walking through all the steps, connecting them to the right individuals and so on and so forth. So most of the clinical trials that are available right now for this disease are not stem cell, right? Stem cell is not an option still. Is that right? Finally, in the past couple of years, there's more, there's a few stem cell trials that are starting to to surface for- I should say in the US. I, I should preface that. that we're yeah. talking about the US here, that, that it's the, not as widely available. Yeah, it's- <laughs> No, it it hasn't been. And um, essentially, without getting into too many details on just complaining about the problems with our healthcare system and the hassles with working with big pharma, mm-hmm. um, stem cells can often be perceived as a threat to the mm-hmm. traditional drugs being pushed through the pipeline. Um, because if you have a drug that can help alleviate a lot of inflammation issues, as well as these other problems that are that arise from the disease, you know, you, you, you compete with a lot of other drugs that are already on market. And um, so, so it's, it's been a real hassle to try to get Mm -hmm. um, regulators to want to buy into this and have it be done in a way that's, um, that's cost effective and that you're not just spending an extraordinary amount of money because there's so many barriers to make Mm -hmm. this available. Yeah. Um, one of those barriers that I was reading was was travel that that most of the time when Ryan was receiving treatment, you you were having to travel to Panama City mm-hmm. to a to a clinic there. And that becomes really challenging, I think, for families to then access absolutely with the required frequency, you know. Yeah. So Ryan's first one or two treatments were in Costa Rica. And then they went to and then Dr. Reardon set up a clinic in Panama City, Panama. 
And um, it's really a lot like Miami. People think mm -hmm. it's like third world country, but um, it's very Americanized. And the the clinic that they go to, that um, uh, Dr. Reardon operates there is called the Stem Cell Institute. And it's on the 63rd floor of one of the largest um, high rises in, in downtown Panama. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's not easy to get there, especially if you, if you're traveling with someone in a wheelchair or, right. you know, there's so many people down there that we see that have autism or you, you, sometimes you don't ever, you don't know what's, what's happening. Um, that's their reason to be there, but you can tell they're struggling and they know it's worth it. They know it's worth the trek, but unfortunately it's not that easy for many people to get there. Um, most people don't have uh, an able-bodied man that can carry another grown adult in, in between the aisles on a commercial airline and then position him up against the window and steal all the pillows from first class to make him comfortable and hope that the uh uh the luggage the people that run the lug that put the the wheelchair underneath the plane don't break it i mean it's a real hassle that no one talks about on traveling with uh people in wheelchairs and um it's just so frustrating. I mean, we, I've been to Panama seven times with them and um, we finally had a routine figured out. And um, anyways, yeah, it's just, uh, it's not as easy as it should be, but it's, it's worth it if you're able to. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it sounds like you have a lot of, um, you've experienced this travel and, and you think about things that most of us who, you know, have, able bodies don't think about, you know, you it's, there's things that we just don't even cross our minds that those who have, um, disabilities are, are really challenged with and doing these everyday tasks. Yeah. I mean, it's just when a problem lands in your lap, the natural thing is how do we solve this and how do we, you know, overcome this issue? And, um, you know, you just, trial and error you find different ways to make things work and you know thank god we've had so many opportunities to keep trying and keep learning from how we can do this better because really you know i want ryan's story to be the number one example for more people to believe in why this therapy is um is something that should become readily available for everybody you know uh t he'll never be able to go on tour as a musician, like he wishes he could. He he did that a few times in his early, right after high school, but he still lives a incredibly fulfilling and rewarding life. I mean, he wakes up every day and makes music with his best friends. I mean, he's a full-time musician. He's helping us with our documentary. You know, I want people to understand that. Um, yeah. He, he, if you have a disease like muscular dystrophy and maybe you know, finally you're able to get stem cells while we wait for the cure that, you know, we believe in and that it's, um, that we're science is headed in that right direction. But, um, you know, there's so many things kids can do to make their life fulfilling. You know, you may never play high school baseball, but you could learn how to become a photographer or how to become a videographer or, or musician, or, you know, there's so many things you can still do that, um, children can uh can be passionate about and can make a career out of and be very fulfilled with and you know so not only is ryan you know 
in great health because the stem cells, but he's making the most of it. And I think that that really goes hand in hand because it's one, if he was just getting treated and then watch Netflix every day and ate junk food, what's the point, you know, but he found something that he can thrive doing and it makes him want to get more treatments. So then he can finish that next album. So he can keep harmonizing and doing the different things he wants to with his vocal cords being stronger. Um, but, but anyways, yeah, I, I can yeah. go all on about it. Well, you, you're illustrating this, but I, I read that you call yourself an obsessed optimist. And I would <laughs> imagine that uh, many who have experienced the challenges and struggle of a loved one, like, like you have, um, they might have a hard time seeing the glass as half full. So how do you do it? How do you stay optimistic? I mean, things could always be worse. Um, and I think just being mindful of that, it makes it easy to, to see the glass half full. I mean, I don't know. I, I forgot that I said that once, but that's funny. You, you came across that. Um, I mean, I think it's just, I, I've seen so intimately the, the worst parts of the disease. Um, cause he, when I moved back from college, he and I lived together for the past five years. Um, he moved into a house with me and, um, I was his primary caregiver. So, um, as much good things that, that he's had in his life, he still had to deal with some really, really tough days. Um, and I was right there with him through a lot of the darkest ones. And um, I don't know how you can over, how you can be immersed in those uh, experiences without finding and then to come out on the other side and not be excited to make sure other people can can overcome their problems, too. I don't know. I think it's just I'm lucky that I was raised by good parents that kind of instilled that attitude in me, apparently. What is it? What is it that you want to hope want other people to know about those with disability? How we can make a better world for those who have challenges, a rare disease, or a disability? How can we be there to support people? And what do you want those people to know? Number one, be careful about everything you read on the internet. You know, it's easy to go into a rabbit hole, and the more you click on on one thing, the worse things can get. You can find the worst uh, news possible if that's what you're looking for. You can also find rose-colored glasses if that's what you're looking for too. So being um, being very aware that you know there's reading things at at surface level. You know, I, I hear from these parents that they get a diagnosis and the doctor has a terrible bedside manner, and you know they just say, you know, there's there's cure there's they've been tr- pumping millions of dollars into trying to find a cure for the last two or three decades they're getting closer but really i don't want to sugarcoat things your son might probably die before he graduates high school some people talk like that and it's terrible because yes there are those t- every now and then the disease uh there's other factors involved a lot of times with quality of care that attribute to a child passing away that early. But I think it's extremely important that parents don't just get into a tunnel vision of the worst case scenario, but understand that 
look at the best case scenarios that have come from this and identify ways to allow your child to have that same opportunity. And that's by reaching up, calling us, you know, calling other people that um, have found those alternative solutions and just, you know, you can only read so much online, but once you actually get to connect one-on-one, that's when you learn what you can trust and you can rely on. And that just compounds and, you know, we, we pay it forward. And so um, I think the biggest thing is just um, having the right attitude. And a big thing with Ryan that I've learned from him is just, if the worst they can say is no, why not give it everything you have? What do you have to lose? Um, and that's whether I'm trying to find a sponsor for one of our fundraisers, or I'm trying to get the Shriners Children's Hospital to accept a stem cell trial for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, I, I, I went to a conference in Houston on a last minute. I heard about this speaker that was going to be there and I booked a flight two days before the conference. I knew I this was a guy that at the time I really thought was the key to getting a, a trial started at a very, um, a, a very large, um, well-esteemed children's ho- research hospital in Texas. And um, I showed up to the conference and I wanted to get as much time with the, the VP that I was talking to that I walked into his car because I just, you know, if he's going to think <laughs> disrespectful or overly aggressive or unprofessional, what do I have to lose? I'm getting the point across. I'm showing the facts, the figures. I put him directly in touch with Dr. Reardon. Um, it was, I mean, nothing came from it, but it was a stern, a stone that we turned over and we, we learned a lot from it. We got connected to other people and you know, what, when, when you have the attitude of what do you have to lose, sometimes you never know what might happen. So it's always mm-hmm. worth it. Yeah. You mentioned that about the human connection, just, you know, reaching out and connecting with someone who's been through it before. And certainly you provide that, that opportunity through your organization, but that, that level of community is really a saving grace when you are going through any kind of trauma, um, or medical issue or something that just it's territory you've never navigated. And there's so much between hospitals and doctors and, resources and mental health support for family and all of that. There's, there's so much out there that you just don't know about until you connect with someone else. Right. And, you know, it's, it, like I said earlier, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, even the stuff that I'm sharing, you know, fact check it. Like that's the same thing that we want people to the same attitude. You know, there's a lot of people that they, they hear one thing from the first specialist and then they're afraid to have false hope into looking at anything else, or they're afraid to um, go against what their primary physician or the specialist said. And I know we wouldn't be here today if that's what if that's the approach our parents had. Um, granted, we're extremely blessed that we had this personal connection, and that's why we're here. But we're going to make the most of that. You know, yeah. I don't. The last thing we want is Ryan to be the only one to have this treatment, and. Thankfully, we've had the attitude and opportunities to to share the story and connect with hundreds of other families now. And um, yeah. and others know. have now had the treatment, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Around the world. I mean, there's 
there's, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to, talk to multiple families just this morning already that I'm trying to help them find resources that uh, are reliable and attainable for them. Um, but it's, it's an uphill battle and um, it, you know, you're only as strong as the network around you. Yeah. And so just don't be afraid to, to turn a stranger into a friend. You know, that's uh that's what people are, people are out there waiting on someone to ask them for a hand and um, never hurts to make that phone call. Yeah. Well, back in 2008, the leap of faith that your family took, um, your parents and Ryan decided on going for a treatment that was uncharted at the time. Um, that's really opened doors for, for so many. And um, that's really promising. Yeah. I mean, we, we made the most of the, uh, the opportunity that landed in front of us and um, we're just extremely blessed and fortunate and want to continue to pay it forward. I mean, what Dr. Reardon's doing with this research is uh, nothing short of miraculous and we want to make sure that people believe in it and can access it. And so that's what our nonprofits really set up to do is um, provide those resources. And um, I could, we can go on and on about that, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that we have the potential to to really shake up and, and help a lot of people in need. Like, what is a quote that you live by? If it is to be, it is up to me. And that's just kind of the attitude of no one's going to pave the path for you. You need to try to get on it yourself. And the, when the worst that can happen is people say no, you just have to be the one to keep trying. Well, you're a go-getter. I would say you probably do. Yeah, I try to. Thank um, you so much for your time today. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that that we know about or are here before we leave today? You know, I uh, number one, I want to be an advocate and a resource. So if anybody hears this and they have a, themselves or a loved one or a neighbor down the street that they know might have a condition or some sort of problem that uh, they're looking for something that maybe stem cells can help, direct them to our website. It's, you know, comingtogetherforcure.org or find any of our information on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. You know, we're here to try to help as many people as possible identify if stem cells can be a solution that can help better their life. I hope you learned something new today and perhaps more so. I hope you were inspired by the positive outlook Blake has for overcoming obstacles. To learn more about the efforts of coming together for a cure, go to their website, which we have linked in the show notes. Stay connected with the good around us through my bi-monthly newsletter and on Instagram at good.aroundus. And click the plus button on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the Good Around Us podcast. Until next time.